This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hi, I'm Rena Nainen, and this is Ask Lisa, the Psychology of Parenting podcast. It's a podcast to help parents better understand their kids. Dr. Lisa Demore, a psychologist with three decades of experience and the author of three New York Times best-selling parenting books, takes your questions. Both of us are moms ourselves, and we're eager to hear from you. So send us your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. And join our community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter at Ask Lisa Podcast. Episode 111, what kind of therapy is right for my kid? So I don't know if people caught it, but there was a number change at the top of our podcast, and it goes something like this. Three-time New York Times best-selling author, Lisa. The emotional lives of teens hit the New York Times bestseller list. You are now a three-time New York Times bestseller. Thank you, Rena. I'm really happy about it, I'll confess. And thank you for your support. I mean, it made such a huge difference in this. And then our listeners have been incredible. And so um, I'm just glad that the book is getting out there. And I just really hope it's useful to families. Oh, it is absolutely useful. I mean, you're hearing it on the book tour. We're hearing it in our inbox. And everywhere I go, people want to talk about it. Um, But I just think it's so remarkable because you're so humble about your success. It's one of the things I love about you. And there is nobody better at their job than you. That's really kind. That's really kind. I just feel lucky to get to do what I get to do. And it's got a great title, The Emotional Lives of Teenagers. you got to get that book. Um, Speaking of someone good at their job, I want to ask you, you were so passionate about this episode we're doing today, talking about what kind of help you should get your child when they're in need. Why did you feel so passionately that we should do this episode? You know, I think um, we have gone through a time when so many families are worried about their kids or seeking help for their kids. And it is amazing to me how um, hard it is as a consumer to know what all of the options are and what they mean and also who to trust in those moments, right? And of course, by the time you're seeking help for your kid, you are really looking, you're pretty vulnerable and you need to know what you're doing. So I wanted to really make it so that parents had a, you know, our listeners had a kind of a neutral um, a neutral exposition of what all the different mm-hmm. therapies are and what they mean. I love that because I, I have a feeling I'm going to learn so much on this episode. I want to read you the letter that we got. It says, Dear Dr. Lisa, I've been looking into child therapists, psychologists, and it is so overwhelming. DBT, CBT, talk therapy, somatic therapy, play therapy. What does all this mean? And how do I know what's right for my kid? For me, this is like there's so much inside baseball in psychology, and yet parents have to make decisions. And then they're trying to trust you know, what they can find online to tell them, or they're trying to trust a practitioner who, how do they even know they can trust that person? Or is that person trying to, you know, bring their work that their way? I mean, I, 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 this, I love this letter. I absolutely love this letter because I think a lot of families struggle with this question of like, what is all this and which one should I look for for my kid? Yeah. 
So I guess it's hard to kind of talk about this when, you know, it's not a specific, she's got ADHD or, or whatever the issue might be. So how, how do you even approach this, Lisa? Well, it's interesting because um, the kinds of therapies that are asked about in this letter, we use them for different things. And so some will be making more sense for different kinds of concerns than others. So the first one, was it DBT? Was that the first one? It was DBT and then CBT, which I've never heard of any of these. Okay. So I'm just going to like do a lesson on what these are because it's really important for families to know. So to take them in order, DBT stands for Dialectical Behavioral Therapy. And this one, it's interesting, there's sort of a historical order in which these emerge. This is a relatively recent, but I mean like within the last 25 years. So, you know, it's not brand new. And DBT began as a form of treatment initially for people who were suffering from borderline personality disorder, um, which is a disorder we diagnose only in adults. And it has a lot of features, but the overwhelming feature of borderline personality disorder is incredible difficulty managing upset feelings Mm -hmm. and tending to manage upset feelings through self-destructive actions like cutting or threatening suicide or um, eating disorder behavior or clinging to people in a way that actually ends up being um, off-putting. So it's its own constellation of um, diagnostic symptomatology, but the insight, and it was actually one person, it was a woman named Marsha Linehan, who said, what people who are suffering from borderline personality disorder do not need traditional psychotherapy where we stir up feelings, right? Like the the goal, like often of like talk therapies, and we'll come to those, mm-hmm. is like, you know, you talk about what, you, what's, what you've been through, it's often kind of distressing. And Marsha Linehan's view is like, that's fine for people who are able to manage distress, but the nature of borderline pathology is that you cannot manage distress. And I remember when I was being trained on this, this beautiful analogy was, you know, that with talk therapy for someone with borderline pathology, it's like taking someone who doesn't know how to swim, throwing them overboard, and then standing in the boat going, I'm with you, I'm with you. <laughs> so DBT is swimming. Like, mm-hmm. how do you manage distress? Now, interestingly, in the intervening 20 plus years since it was developed for borderline personality disorder, there has been a very helpful expansion of its application to other concerns where feelings are not managed well. So we now recommend DBT often for kids who are struggling with eating concerns, for kids who are struggling with self-harming separate from a broader borderline you know, constellation. Anytime we come across a person and it's this is we're talking adults and then adolescents. We don't really do DBT with little kids. We do, you know, helping them manage basic emotional regulation with little kids, but DBT's more sophisticated version of it. Anytime we are looking at symptoms where the nature of the symptom is the person gets upset and they do something that is bad for them, DBT can be really helpful. Mm. So that's how I would want parents to size this up is if your kid is cutting or threatening to cut or threatening suicide every time they're upset. Um, And we'll come back to, you know, obviously, if there's threatening suicide, you get them safe first, like no question about that. But if there's a really sort of a self-destructive bent or a difficulty caring for oneself in the face of painful emotions, DBT can be a wonderful option. Now, how is DBT, I know you've walked us through a little bit, different than, hey, just go see a psychologist, they'll walk you through it, you can talk through your emotions? So it's interesting because there 
are psychologists who specialize in DBT. There's psychologists who specialize in CBT. There's psychologists who specialize in talk therapy. There's almost no way for the consumer to know mm-hmm. what they're getting. Mm-hmm. And so, and part of what's problematic is these are very specialized trainings. Like DBT training is something that is unique to itself. I do not have DBT training. I'm a solidly trained psychologist in a lot of things. I do not have DBT training. I would refer out for that. Mm-hmm. So part of why it's really, I'm really glad we're doing this episode is the consumer needs to know because as all clinicians are inclined to do so, we tend to recommend what we know how to do. Mm-hmm. And so if you have a kid where really DBT would be really probably the better option, and you go to someone who specializes in talk therapy, they may get talk therapy when that's not really the best choice for them. So what I would say is, um, if you have a kid who is really having a hard time managing any painful emotions and is engaging in self-destructive behavior when they become upset or outwardly destructive behavior, I would get an evaluation from somebody who has an awareness of DBT and may themselves practice it or know, be able to recommend somebody who's really good who does. Mm -hmm. And so there was something called CBT. What is that? And what, who could that help the most? Okay. So CBT stands for cognitive behavioral therapy. And it's one of our main treatment forms, and it's enormously mainstream. And I will tell you, DBT has become mainstream. DBT didn't start there, but it has become that. But CBT has been around since the 70s at least. And what it is, is very much encoded in in the title. It's cognitive. It's how we think. Behavioral. It's how we act. Therapy. And CBT grew up in reaction actually to the earliest talk therapies. So the earliest talk therapies really come out of a Freudian tradition, right? So the beginning of psychotherapy, as we know it, was really um, Sigmund Freud's work and the people all around him who discovered that when you get people talking about closely held events and emotions, they tend to experience relief, you know, or they can experience relief. Like this was a totally novel idea a hundred plus years ago. Like it was not even on the table. It's kind of like I'm in a very young field in many ways. <laughs> and so the earliest therapies were all this kind of excavating, curious, trying to understand, you know, unconscious motivations, where things are coming from, um, access things that may be outside of people's awareness that may be informing their behavior. And there's real value in that, and we'll come back to it. But then somewhere, I think it was the 60s or 70s, I should know exactly, but somewhere in there, somebody was like, or maybe you don't have to dredge it all up. Mm. Maybe you can just help people feel better by changing how they think and how they act. And you don't always have to get at questions of unconscious motivation or you know, deep past issues. And that's what CBT is. So when you seek out a CBT therapist and the kinds of things for which it is fantastic, it is great for anxiety. It can be great for depression. You know, it can be great for compulsive behaviors. Like the, um, there are things that CBT is enormously strong at. So we can start to categorize these. Like DBT is when you cannot regulate emotions. CBT can be enormously helpful. Anxiety can really, I mean, I use this kind of like cautiously, but cure anxiety disorders. Really? Yeah, it can go a really long way in helping people manage depression. Um, Those are the two big categories of things that people struggle with. And so if you go to see a CBT practitioner, what they're going to do is they're going to have you lay out how you're thinking about whatever it is you're struggling with. So say it's anxiety. 
where you say, I'm so anxious, I cannot go to school, school is terrifying, they will have you in detailed ways articulate what is scary about school, what you think is scary about school. They will then have you examine those thoughts, look for distortions and exaggerations, look for ways to actually challenge your own thinking to have it be much more in line with reality, and then use that to change the behavioral choices that are made. Mm-hmm. Okay, I am not doing it full justice, but that's sort of the, wow. the high-level description of it. And it can be really, really effective. It's it's one of the most sort of empirically validated therapies we have. Is um, We know from research that CBT can be highly, highly effective for people. So that's what that means. And there's lots of CBT practitioners around that um, if you are seeking someone there's a good chance their their training is, at this point, CBT. Okay. What about talk therapy? I mean, when I hear talk therapy, I just think of, oh, it's just you showing up to a psychologist's office and talking. Is that what it is? <laughs> well, it can be. It can be. So talk therapy is kind of like this big generic term that we use. Um, when, when clinicians use it, we're meaning not CBT, probably more what we would call psychodynamic. And so psychodynamic is the term that we use that's basically Freud plus. So when psychologists are saying the term psychoanalytic, they tend to mean Freud and his contemporaries, like the people who Mm -hmm. early on laid out psychoanalytic theories. Psychoanalytic theory has developed tremendously in the intervening century, has um, lots of branches, and has become very modernized in many ways. And so when we say psychodynamic, what we mean is Freud and then everything that came after Freud, but in that vein. The key principles in this of psychodynamic psychotherapy is this belief, and this is important, Rena, and this is actually how I was trained. I was trained very much as a psychodynamic clinician, is the belief that a lot goes on outside of our awareness, that we don't know ourselves as well as we might want to, and that if you create an open environment for psychotherapy where you can just explore and see what thoughts come up one right after the other, where the clinician can be a really attentive observer and noticing, you know, you talked about this and then I saw you take a hard left turn Mm -hmm. (laughs) onto this, like I'm wondering Mm -hmm. what that might be about, that in that process, you can access unconscious forces that may be making your life harder than they need to be. So talk therapy is vastly more unstructured, say, than CBT and DBT, but it can really have a place where there may be, um, one of the ways we talk about it sometimes is like ghosts in the nursery, you know, things lingering from the past that are governing the moment that we're in, in ways that we don't mean for them to. And a good psychodynamic clinician can help bring that to light. And once that is brought to light, give the client more choices. Hmm. Lisa, we're going to pause and take a quick break. On the other side of this break, I want to ask you a little bit about something called somatic therapy, play therapy. I've heard that used often. And then also I'm really curious about family therapy and what this all means. We'll be right back. You're listening to Ask Lisa, The Psychology of Parenting. I love doing laundry now because of EarthBreeze. EarthBreeze are these eco sheets that look just like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra concentrated, liquidless, so you don't have that drippy goo from plastic jugs. EarthBreeze is really tough on stains, even odors. And if you've got teens, you know about those odors. Dermatologist tested, hypoallergenic, and also free of bleach, dyes, and parabens. 
fragrance-free option is also there for anyone who wants it. So what EarthBreeze did was they got rid of the unnecessary chemicals for a formula that's kind to sensitive skin of all ages, and that includes babies. And I love that I just order online and the shipment comes right to my door when I need it. So right now, our listeners at Ask Lisa can receive 40% off of EarthBreeze. That's right, 40% off just by going to earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. That's earthbreeze.com slash asklisa to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and get your 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. Did you know that most bedding is made with harsh chemicals like formaldehyde, synthetic pesticides, and toxic dyes? Luckily, one company is changing this standard for good. Bolin Branch Sheets, which you know I love, uses the rarest 100% organic cotton that's traceable from family farm to your family home. I have had my Bolin Branch Sheets for a while now, and I love them. They feel like butter. In fact, I am so used to them now that when I travel, as I often do for work, I take my Bolin Branch pillowcase with me and I put it on the pillow in the hotel room so I can enjoy that softness, at least on my face, even when I'm not sleeping in my own bed. Sleep better at night with the softest sheets from Bolin Branch. Get 15% off your first order when you use the promo code ASKLISA at BolinBranch.com. That's Bolin Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code ASKLISA. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I got the most amazing pair of bootcut black work pants that have been a game changer, all thanks to my stylist at Stitch Fix. The stylists understand your style, your size, your budget, and they do all the shopping for you. It took a couple of tries for the stylist and I to really see eye to eye, and once they did, it's such a game changer. I asked for a pair of black pants that make my legs look good, and also would look good with a blouse or a nice top. They really nailed it. And then they found another cardigan for me that really works. I also love that they show you different styles of how you can put these outfits together. I love that it feels that she can read my mind now and we've got a rhythm to where all I do is say I need this type of wardrobe piece and she sends it to me and it fits and it works. Styles that make you feel as good as you look. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash asklisa. That's stitchfix.com slash asklisa. Stitchfix.com slash asklisa. Welcome back to Ask Lisa, the psychology of parenting. We're looking at the various genres of therapy, and Lisa's walking us through uh, what therapy might be right um, based on what issues come up. Um, there's something in this letter called um, that this letter writer mentions called somatic therapy and play therapy. Can you walk us through what those are? I can. Um, okay, so somatic therapy is newer to the table, right? I mean, we think, I, I just because of my training, like I think about these things in terms of when do they come on the scene? Yeah. So somatic therapy it rests on the premise that the mind and body are very powerfully connected, which we now are all in agreement about. Now, I will tell you, Rena, I got my PhD 25 years ago, and I'm not proud of this, but this is the reality. 25 years ago, mainstream psychology was a little bit like, oh yeah, that mind-body stuff, that's kind of woo-woo, mm -hmm. you know, not... <laughs> Not really like conventional wisdom. Yeah. And we've realized the, you know, the error of our ways. So somatic therapies are really, really helpful 
for people who have a psychological challenge with a very powerful physiological component. And mostly what I'm talking about here are people who have experienced a trauma. It's really interesting work. So when people go through a trauma, whether it's like, you know, a attack of some kind or an accident of some kind, the nature of trauma is that it overwhelms us, overwhelms our coping. That's what makes something a trauma. And it causes basically a full flooded, overwhelmed response. And then what happens is that when people think about it, or when they're trying not to think about it, it will sometimes come back to them. And what comes back to them also is a full physiological overwhelming, like they're having a panic response, or they feel nauseous, or they feel frightened and shaky, um, that it the market leaves goes beyond just thoughts and feelings. The market leaves goes into the body and can be carried in the body in tension or um, ongoing like activation of our mm -hmm. reactivity systems in a way that makes daily life really, really hard. Can I give you an example of, of one thing I think you might be talking about? Tell me if I'm right. It was um, a Black gentleman who had been the victim of police brutality. It ended up being proven in court. And one of the things he told me in the interview that he struggles with is every time he sees a police officer as he's driving by, he urinates on himself and he can't control that. And he was saying as a dad, it's really hard when your five-year-old boy has control of their bladder and you can't. But is that an example of a trauma that happened and there's a reaction of something? It's just you, like, it's Absolutely. so basic. It's so basic. And it like, and by basic, I think what you mean is like core, right? And kind of almost like, you know, um, archaic in its way, yeah. right? So no, that's an exact example. So this guy was traumatized, right? When he was beat up by the police or whatever, you yeah. know, the assault was. His coping systems were overwhelmed. He may or may not in that moment have urinated himself at the time of the trauma, right? Like you lose control of your functioning, right? Mm -hmm. Which is so, um, so upsetting, right? I mean, upsetting doesn't even get it, right? And then what happens is he is now suffering, you know, based on what you're telling me, I'm going to make a best guess, from post-traumatic stress disorder, which... You don't always suffer from PTSD in the wake of a trauma, but if you have that re-experiencing and intrusive um, symptomatology that he does, we would call that usually PTSD. So he sees a police officer, we would call that a trigger, and that brings him back to the moment of the trauma, and his body recreates what happened in that moment. Wow. And so this poor guy, right? And that's what I mean. Like it really gets in the way of daily functioning mm -hmm. if encoded into the body is a traumatic response. So what we do in, in somatic therapies for people who specialize in it is to really, really be attentive to the signals from the body, tune into the body and help people feel back in charge of their own physiological reactivity, right? So, um, it may be, you know, that someone who cares for a guy like that, you know, thinks about, has him think about a situation of seeing a police officer, so not actually doing it, but think about it, noticing the shifts in his body, using breathing or muscle relaxation to try to counter those shifts. Um, so it's not 
so much the talking, right? It's very much tuning into how the body reacts and then using various strategies that we know work, like breathing and muscle relaxation, to counter that out-of-control physiological experience. Mm, that's good to know. So I want to ask you about play therapy. I just assume it's just kids playing with toys. <laughs> Uh, for which we charge you a lot of money. No. Um, so play therapy is like psychodynamic psychotherapy for kids. So we talked about like unconscious processes and, you know, those coming up in a therapy situation. So we don't expect that younger kids are going to come in and be like, so I had this dream last night and here's what happened in the dream. I mean, like we don't expect that. So play therapy is when a kid's been through something really hard and finding a way to talk about it may be very, very effective. And you have someone, then this is some of the training I have, who's very comfortable doing that in a play setting because that's how kids communicate. Mm -hmm. So all of us who are trained in that, we have dollhouses in our offices. We have entire families in our offices of like, you know, toy families. Um, I also, when I was taking care of a lot of kids, I had tons and tons of animals, like tons and tons of little plastic mm -hmm. animals. And what you do is you get a conversation going or you play with it. And then the clinician can introduce like, you know, this is sort of a grumpy lion daddy, you know, mm -hmm. and here's sort of a sad, you know, tiger mommy, you know, and like, what are they thinking and feeling? So it's a way where you get at what may be under the surface and you use play both because that's appropriate to kids and also so it's not so like um, on the nose for them. It's overwhelming for a nine-year-old to be like, so it sounds like your parents are really struggling. Oh, right. right. Like, I mean, that's not going to yeah. happen, right? But uh. you could have that conversation with race cars or drawing or other ways that allow for what we call displacement in terms of having those conversations. I know when I covered wars that often they would have the children color and write, you know, draw things. And then they would, the psychologist working with them would explain to me what they were seeing through their drawings. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's getting at this idea that there's a lot going on, but kids need to communicate it in a very particular way. Mm. I want to ask you about family therapy. What is that? So family therapy is when everyone's in the room at the same time. Mm. And it can be very, very effective where the conflict sits largely between people, right? I think often as a psychodynamically trained clinician, I think about conflict as either within a person or between people, right? So um, people can be at odds with themselves and they can be at odds with others. And so it can be wonderful. And there's not as many people who practice this as much. Like therapies sort of have their like moments in time. Family therapy is not as widely trained or used as it was in the 70s and 80s, but there are still very good practitioners around and new clinicians who are good at this. But if a family's at odds with each other, getting someone in who can serve as a neutral party, mm -hmm. that's really the role of the clinician in that moment, serve as a neutral party to observe the dynamics, inform the dynamics, maybe give people different patterns or ways to try to sort through, you know, whatever is coming up in mm -hmm. family life. Mm -hmm. So Lisa, we've gone through so many different therapy options that I didn't even know was available. Why did you think this episode was so important? And I also want to ask you how um, you can determine what's best for your child or your family. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so hard for me as a psychologist to know how opaque what we do is to the consumers who need us, right? I think that that's what's so hard is that by the time you need someone like me you are already in a jam. You are already having a very, very bad day. And there's a part for me, I was so glad to get this letter and I thank you for like being agreeable around like talking it through. Of course. Where I just wanted to like have someone 
have a way to give people information about this from someone who has no skin in the game about the particular situation they're in, right? Because that's always the worry is the consumer is like, I'm in a vulnerable moment. I'm making this call. I don't know if the person on the other end of the line is as informed as they need to be, going to give me the right guidance or advice. And so I just, I love that we can create a, um, a space just to sort of walk these through and give people the information that will help them in what are invariably very, very hard times in their lives. They are very hard times. And and I think also, I wasn't aware of a lot of these. DBT, CBT, I didn't know these were options. And sometimes it might give people an opportunity to explore an avenue that might be better for their family. Yeah. I mean, because you want the treatment to work. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing that's so frustrating is when people seek care, get connected to care, are spending time and money on that care. If it's not the right care, they're losing time and losing ground. And that also just... I, I just makes me really, I just hate that. Yeah. No, you, you are always so vested in the lives of people you don't even know because you have experienced so much uh, in your practice. So Lisa, what do you have for us for parenting to go? Okay. So this is a really interesting thing. We have studied treatment efficacy, right? So one of the questions that people may be thinking is like, okay, well, which ones are the most effective? Mm-hmm. And so we've asked that question of like, what makes for an effective psychotherapy? And the answer that comes back is not this kind or that kind or this level of training. The answer that comes back is a good working relationship with the clinician. So that is, in addition to trying to find the right kind of therapy for your need, the thing that you really want to keep an eye on is, do you as the parent maybe seeking help or does your kid as the kid seeking help feel like you and the clinician are working well together on the same team are in a good partnership. And we have found through like massive empirical studies that that's what actually drives treatment outcomes more than anything else. Like you could have somebody who's like 40 years into you know their career. If you've got a lousy relationship with them, you're getting nothing. You could have a newbie who, you know, is still pretty green as a clinician, but if you've got a good working relationship, you're going to get a good result from that. So what I would say for people who are looking for clinicians for themselves, themselves or their kids is like, these are the two things you want to weigh. What type of treatment's going to make sense? And did you find somebody, can you find somebody where it really feels like a good fit? And I think that's what's so painful is first, getting in anywhere is hard these days. But then once you get in, you feel like you should be so grateful, but you don't gel or your child, you can tell just it's not working, but you continue doing it, spending tons of money because this is your only option. Yeah. So I know it feels like a very high bar to set at any point, and I certainly now, and when clinicians remain very stretched thin, but um, for families who can find and exercise options, this is the information they're going to want to have. It's great. Well, thank you for this, for laying this all out. And I didn't realize how many other options there are. So um, we're so grateful, Lisa, that you've you've gone through to explain this and, and maybe open the door for other parents to think of other options. And next week, we're going to talk about gaming. How do you know when gaming is too much for your child? I'll see you next week. I'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask Lisa podcast so you get the episodes just as soon as they drop. And send us your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. And now a word from our lawyers. The advice provided on this podcast does not constitute or serve as a substitute for professional psychological treatment, therapy, or other types of professional advice or intervention. If you have concerns about your child's well-being, consult a physician or mental health professional. 
If you're looking for additional resources, check out Lisa's website at drlisademore.com. We'll see you next week. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.